You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer joins the Post to discuss immigration reform, the infrastructure bill, and his legislative goals for 2021. Let's listen. Good morning. I'm Karen Tumulty, and I'm a columnist here at the Washington Post who I write about politics, and I want to welcome you to Washington Post Live, where our guest this morning is one of the most powerful people in Washington, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer. Welcome, Leader Hoyer. Good morning, Karen. Great to be with you. It's great to have you here. And before we get down to talking about your own agenda on the Democratic side, which is certainly more than full these days, I wanted to ask you about a drama that is in the news playing out on the other side, which is this effort to oust Liz Cheney from the Republican leadership. It, It really wasn't that long ago when she was being spoken of as being on deck to potentially become the second female speaker in in U.S. history. What do you make of what is going on on the Republican side? And and how does this affect your own ability to do your job leading a pretty slim Democratic majority in the House? Well, first of all, as you've noticed, Karen, uh, and I think the American public has noticed, we may have a slim majority, but it is a united majority. So we have been very successful during this first quarter and passed a lot of very substantive legislation that is uh, supported by a large uh, majority of the American uh, people. Um, I think Liz Cheney's greatest uh, uh, offense apparently is uh, she is principled and she believes in the truth. Uh, she is obviously a very conservative uh, re- Republican uh, from the state of Wyoming. So it's not a question of ideology. It's a question of cult. It's a question of cult of personality, uh, that if you're not 1,000% for Donald Trump, somehow you are not a good Republican. You're not worthy of be- uh, being in the leadership. I think it's a it's a real weakness in the Republican Party that they have uh, jettisoned their principles, jettisoned adherence to the truth, uh, and uh, simply... Uh, pandered to one individual, Donald Trump, who I would suggest was a terrible U.S. president, who had no respect for the truth, lied on a regular basis, uh, was impulsive in his actions without a a plan. Uh, And uh, it is a shame that the party has fallen to the place where a Liz Cheney, as I said, principled, committed to the truth, and a conservative Republican uh, is uh, somehow uh, not uh, accepted as a leader in the Republican Party. So, as I said, your your plate is more than full. You've got um, between President Biden's stimulus, I mean, his infrastructure package, and then the American Families Plan that he unveiled last week in his big speech. You're talking about, you know, $4 trillion or thereabouts in initiatives. Is there anything at all that even resembles bipartisan negotiations going on in the House is, I mean, we're, we're seeing at least some movement in that direction in the Senate. Are, are the Republicans engaging you at all on any of this? Uh, Karen, if you're talking about me on the House side, uh, very, very little. 
we want to proceed in a bipartisan fashion, frankly, because that's good for the country. It's good for us. It's good for the substance of the programs we adopt. Uh, but as you saw in, in dealing with the American Rescue Plan, that we've had very, very substantial support of the American people. Not a single Republican in the House or the Senate voted for it. So they didn't show much interest in bipartisanship, either in discussion or in voting. Uh, but uh, the president clearly has been throughout his career, somebody who wanted to seek common ground and did, in fact, many times uh, achieve common ground on legislation. And he still wants to do that. He's still talking to Republicans. The Republicans have clearly indicated they are for infrastructure. Now, they have a more limited um, uh, view of what infrastructure is. I think the president's view is a broader view, and it's a view that we reflected in last year when we passed an infrastructure bill of a trillion and a half dollars. And one thing that uh, I think may be of interest to, to you, Karen, and to your listeners is uh, the Democratic leadership had a meeting with Donald Trump uh, in the early spring of uh, uh, 2020 and talking about infrastructure. Uh, he had put down a, a program of 250 million, excuse me, dollars. Uh, we had discussed a, a trillion dollars or a trillion and a half. And Donald Trump at that meeting said, no, that's not enough. We need to do two trillion dollars. So this is not a figure uh, that is uh, unusual, and it was Donald Trump's figure. The problem is he didn't send a bill down to do that. He didn't say how to pay for it, as Joe Biden has uh, said. But there is certainly a basis, I think, for bipartisan agreement based upon, uh, number one, the Republicans' uh, statements that they're for infrastructure investment, and Donald Trump's uh, articulating a, uh, a $2 trillion figure. So uh, I'm hopeful that we will continue to try to get bipartisan agreement on an infrastructure uh, bill. Badly needed for our country, as Joe Biden said in his uh, address to the Congress of the United States, uh, this is not from one year or two years or five years or a 10 year plan. This is a generational investment uh, to build back better and to uh, make sure that America is competitive in the 21st century. One of the one of the ways it's being talked about to potentially get this infrastructure bill over the finish line is potentially to break it into smaller pieces. And at a Washington Post Live event last week, uh, another member of the House leadership, Jim Clyburn, uh, signaled he might be open to that. Um, how do you feel about that? Is is that a likely way to get this done? Karen, it's a possible way of getting it done. It's an alternative. It's not off the table. Uh, clearly, we want to get all of what the president has proposed. We think it's an integrated package that uh, reflects the needs of the, uh, of the country. And uh, recent polls, I think Politico has a poll that shows that uh, some 55% uh, of Americans uh, are supportive of the entire package that has been proposed by the president. But are we open to uh, discussing ways and means to get that done? Of course we are. And I, I agree with Jim Clyburn and uh, the speaker has indicated that as well. And the president has indicated that as he's talked to Republicans about uh, possibilities. But what he doesn't want to do is uh, break up one part of it uh, and not uh, proceed with the other parts of the bill because he believes it's an integrated package each investment, uh, in effect, supporting and strengthening uh, its, its other uh, proposals. Well, 
you know, you know the rhythms of Congress as well as any human being in Washington does. Certainly the, the rescue package had to pass very, very quickly, which was right. one of the reasons. Um, again, it was pushed through with primary, with only Democratic votes. Could you sort of give us a sense of what you think the timeline looks like? Um, how much time do you guys have to get this stuff through before we are into the midterm seasons or whatever else is likely to get in the way? Well, unfortunately, Karen, it seems to me, uh, my, my recent experience has been that uh, on the first day of the first uh, of, of the succeeding Congress of the 117th Congress, we seem to be in the election mode already. I, I think that's unfortunate. But when you ask for a time frame, there is, we don't have a definite time frame. Sooner is better uh, than later. Uh, the investments uh, being made sooner will be uh, effective sooner. That's good for the American people. It's good for our economy. It's good for the creation of jobs. Uh, and, it, and it's good for uh, kids who are in school, uh, whether it's college or, or whether it's uh, uh, pre-K, as the president has uh, indicated. Uh, so sooner is, is better than later. However, having said that, uh, Janet Yellen, the Secretary of the Treasury, when she talked to us, she said, it's not so much uh, how soon it's done, it's the fact that it's done right. Uh, but, uh, you know, we have a number of options available to us. Reconciliation is one. And by the way, uh, when we passed the American Rescue Plan, uh, it, it seemed to be quick. But as you know, we passed two major pieces of legislation, one in May and one October 1, called HEROES. Uh, and so much of what was in that rescue plan was in that bill. So when you say it was passed quickly, it was in a certain sense, but in another sense, it's something that we had worked on for uh, more than half a year. So what about, um, what else? I mean, is, is, these are some huge, huge items that really and truly people are comparing them in their ambition to LBJ's Great Society or you know, FDR's New Deal. What else is on Steny Hoyer's agenda as in terms of just things you definitely want to get passed and into law in this session? Well, uh, one thing we, we, we need to do, must do, is we need to look at January 6th very, very closely to see how it happened, why it happened, who was responsible. Uh, and we need to focus on January 6th, not be... Uh, as, as some Republicans are suggesting, look at uh, almost every disturbance that may have happened or demonstration that may have happened in America. January 6th was a unique and terrible event in the history of our country. American citizens uh, pursuing insurrection at the instance of the president of the United States to stop democracy from working. So we need to find out exactly what happened there. Secondly, or, or, or contemporaneously, we need to make sure that the Capitol is secure and that it cannot be breached again uh, by a violent mob trying to stop the work of the Congress of the United States in pursuing uh, our democratic principles. Uh, so uh, those two certainly we want to uh, pursue. We want to pursue them in the short term, in my view. I don't, don't mean that it would be completed in the short term, but we need to pursue those. Uh, in, in addition, uh, we have the regular legislation that needs to be passed. We need to pass appropriation bills to fund the government. We need to pass the National Defense Authorization Act uh, to ensure the security 
uh, of our nation. We want to deal with a comprehensive immigration uh, program. Obviously, our immigration system is not working. Everybody agrees on that. There's no partisan disagreement that their immigration system is fine as it is. So we need to pursue uh, that uh, legislation. As you point out, we want to pursue the jobs plan. We want to pursue the family plan. We both believe we, we believe very strongly that that will make a real difference for our country. Uh, and there are a number of other pieces that, of, of legislation we want to go, but we've sent over this last three months, uh, three and a half months, some very substantive legislation to the United States Senate. H.R. 1, a major political reform bill that deals with dark money. Uh, it deals with redistricting, fair redistricting for the people. Uh, and it deals with the uh, voting rights uh, reform and the assurance that every American has the right to vote, uh, is, is facilitated in casting their vote, and is not made more difficult uh, to, to vote. We want everybody to vote and we want to facilitate that. And sadly, we see Republicans, uh, wherever they're in charge throughout the country, trying to undermine the ability of citizens to vote. We just saw a very sad thing. Alcee Hastings, a wonderful member of the Congress of the United States, uh, died just a few weeks ago. Uh, DeSantis, uh, a, a Trump acolyte uh, governor of the state of Florida, has set the election, uh, the primary in November, and the general in January, which means he will leave that seat vacant. And those folks unrepresented, uh, not only will they not be able to vote, uh, but uh, they won't have a vote in the Congress of the United States uh, for some uh, seven months. Uh, so sad. Uh, and, and I was perhaps not surprised, but deeply disappointed that they did that. Uh, and and we, you know, we passed an Equality Act. We want to see that. Uh, past. We dream and promise. 85% uh, of the American people think dreamers who came here as children, who've gone to school here, have worked here, served in our armed forces, served as nurses and teachers and, and doctors, they ought not to be sent to a land that they do not know. This is their home. Uh, overwhelming support, uh, comprehensive uh, uh, background checks. Uh, 80 to 90% of the American people support that. McConnell would not put it on the floor. We've sent it over again. The House, the, the Senate ought to pass that bill. So there are a number of pieces of legislation beyond the two major pieces of uh, which the, is the, the jobs plan and the family plan uh, that we have to deal with and will deal with. Well, I've, while we've been speaking here, there's been a bit of breaking news that I, in fact, am going to have to read to you off my phone if, if you don't mind that. Um, the Facebook Oversight Board has upheld Facebook's decision to suspend Donald Trump from Facebook and Instagram, um, saying that Trump's posts during the riots at the Capitol that you were just discussing um, violated Facebook's rules. Um, you know, the Facebook Oversight Board had upheld the ban on Trump, but it had initially been critical of how that decision was made. What is your reaction to that? And what is the fallout likely to be on Capitol Hill, where there is a lot of discussion about, about the degree to which the government should regulate or not regulate these tech giants? Well, I think clearly the impact of social media and the actions of uh, uh, the, the tech companies that uh, have so much uh, role in, in the communications that occur in our country 
we're going to look at that closely. The, as, as the ads that have been running say, it was a long time ago uh, that uh, these folks came on board and we had regulations and those regulations are now uh, outdated and need to be reviewed. And as you know, there's a lot of interest on Capitol Hill for doing that. As far as the uh, decision of uh, Facebook goes, uh, I applaud that decision. Uh, Facebook is not the public square. We need to remember that it's not that they're a private company. Uh, like the Washington Post, the Washington Post, just because somebody wants to have a full page uh, uh, ad in there, the, the, the Post does not have to accept that. They're a private company. They're not the public square. Uh, the First Amendment guarantees the president and anybody else, President Trump and anybody else, the right to say what they want and the right to uh, purvey that as they as they want. I understand the president now is essentially has a a blog that he's uh, proposing. He he had a uh, apparently a bigger proposal uh, at one point in time and maybe couldn't get support for that. But in any event, uh, Facebook is saying we are not going to be an organ through which uh, somebody who uh, incited an insurrection, as Liz Cheney clearly pointed out, that's her problem. She told the truth and the Republicans do not like the truth. And as a matter of fact, Trump rarely speaks uh, the truth. And so they've made a determination that they don't want to be a an avenue to convey that uh, uh, through their medium. And I think they have the right to do that. And uh, I applaud them for that uh, uh, for that action. So I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the midterm elections. As you pointed out earlier, it, it felt like we were already into a midterm election season, roughly noon on January 20th. Um, you've got as we discussed, a slim majority. You know, only twice since the Civil War has the president's party not lost seats in the first midterm election following his inauguration. You are dealing with state legislatures across the country, Republican legislatures, looking at more restrictive voting laws. You're looking at reapportionment. How are you feeling about this midterm election season? I think it's going to be challenging, but I don't, I'm not down. I'm optimistic, uh, Karen, and I don't think I'm Pollyannish. As you say, I've been around for a long period of time and uh, I've been through a lot of election cycles myself. Um, first of all, there are a couple of exceptions to that rule you talked about, and that's when the country was facing deep economic uh, uh, downturns. Uh, that was true in, uh, in 32 and, and true recently. Uh, I think that we are not in normal historic times. Uh, we're in very different times. The American people, in my view, uh, went to the polls. They rejected Donald Trump uh, handily. Uh, and one of the reasons so many people came out, obviously Donald Trump motivated people both negatively and positively. Uh, a lot of people voted for him as well, but uh, uh, you know, over 80 million people, more than any other president in history, voted for, for, for Joe Biden. And I think he's got his uh, uh, finger on the pulse of America. Uh, the polls reflect that in his investments. I think we're gonna pass legislation that is uh, uh, supported by the American people. And I think Chuck Schumer ought to put it forward. And if the Republicans vote against it, they're going to have to answer uh, for opposing the American people. Uh, McConnell refused, as I said, to put comprehensive background checks on the floor. 
of the United States Senate in the last Congress, overwhelmingly, 85 to 90 percent of the American people, including the majority of Republicans, thought that was good uh, legislation. So uh, I'm, I'm not as uh, uh, pessimistic as some. I think we can pick up seats in the House of Representatives. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, I don't think, is going to be on the ballot. He should not be on the ballot. I frankly think Donald Trump uh, ought to be facing legal challenges in terms of incitement of insurrection uh, in our country. But having said that, uh, Donald Trump brought out a lot of people. And yes, we have challenges. Yes, the Republicans control a lot of the state legislators. Yes, they're going to try to, uh, in effect, disenfranchise uh, Democrats by their redistricting shenanigans. Uh, and, and yes, uh, we, we, uh, we have a close uh, number uh, in the majority right now in the House of Representatives, but I think we're going to pick up seats. We had great candidates uh, around the country, uh, some lost by very close margins with Donald Trump on the ballot. He's not going to be, I don't think he's going to bring out those kinds of votes. And I think what is happening within the Republican Party is a now deeply divided party. If they jettison uh, uh, Liz Cheney, who is, as I said, a solid, uh, mainstream, very conservative Republican uh, who speaks the truth, uh, Mitt Romney has the same problem. He was booed uh, by his party because he spoke the truth. He saw the facts and he acted on what he thought his principles demanded. Uh, if the Republican Party rejects that, I think uh, the American people are going to reject them. So I think uh, I think we're going to be in, uh, in in good shape, maybe Pollyannish, but we're going to be in decent shape uh, to maintain and expand our majorities in the Senate and the House. Well, does it worry you though that some of your moderate members, that the moderate Democrats who were able to hold on to swing districts for the party, are beginning? Some of them are looking at the exits. We saw. Sherry Bustos, for instance, announced uh, her retirement this week. It's just hard to imagine another Democrat who's capable of hanging on to that district. Uh, Connor Lamb, who was just a, a breakout star, is looking at running for the Senate. Uh, is, is this of concern to you? And will you be able to recruit strong candidates in some of these districts if the members who are the incumbents there decide either to leave or to run for a different office? The answer is yes. Uh, Connor Lamb is terrific. Sherry Bustos is terrific. Uh, frankly, as you know, we picked up a lot of seats in Pennsylvania. Uh, the redistricting that the uh, Republicans did in Pennsylvania was overturned. Fair redistrict. We had fair redistricting in Pennsylvania, and, and we picked up five net seats, uh, four in Philadelphia and Connor Lamb in the Philadelphia metropolitan area. So I think, Karen, that we're going to do fine. We have a very energetic, smart, hard-charging chair of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and Sean Patrick Maloney. He comes from a swing district in New York. He knows about swing districts. I think he'll be a great recruiter. Nancy and I and Jim Clyburn spend a lot of time recruiting as well. We have a great recruiting team in place. And I think you'd be surprised when you talk to people around the country, uh, particularly people who are thinking about running for office and have got a lot of ability and talent, uh, they're angry about what these Republicans are doing. They're angry about the divisions that uh, Trump sowed in America and the insurrectionists uh, that assaulted our democracy. 
uh, and they're angry about the people who continue to lie uh, about whether or not there was a fair election and whether or not Joe Biden was really elected president. Of course he was. That's what Liz Cheney is guilty of saying. Uh, Liz Cheney is guilty of saying what every court uh, that uh, considered these cases said, that there was no evidence. Uh, it's what uh, uh, the Attorney General of the United States uh, under Donald Trump said, there was no substantive evidence that uh, there was a, a fraud that affected the outcome of the election. So uh, in that context, I think we have a lot of energized people around this country uh, who want to, you know, they're, they're mad as hell and they're opening the window and they, they, and they want to come to Congress. So I think we're going to recruit uh, really good people. Uh, in Illinois, of course, as you know, uh, Illinois lost a seat, but we control the governorship, uh, the House and the Senate and redistricting. So Sherry's district may be uh, a little better, uh, not worse uh, than it was when she won. And she won initially, uh, you know, it was a Republican district and, and she won that district initially. We can do that again. So I wanted to ask you about some comments that James Carville, longtime Democratic strategist, made uh, this week that got a little attention. You can see where I'm going here. Um, he basically said that wokeness is becoming a serious problem and that large parts of the country view Democrats as, quote, an urban, coastal, arrogant party, which could be something that could cost the Democrats' control of Congress next year. Is there anything to that? Well, of course, as I've said, Karen, a, a number of times now, the legislation we have passed uh, has the support of the American people. Uh, Joe Biden, I don't think, fits any of those definitions. Uh, uh, yes, he's Eastern, he's Delaware and, and, and Scranton, PA, uh, but uh, he's, he's a down-to-earth, uh, guy that that gets it that showed I thought his speech uh, to the Congress of the United States uh, showed uh, exactly the kind of movement and investment and and priorities that the American people have and he showed a great empathy for the plight of working people in this country and he wants to make sure that they uh, and this is my agenda the make it in America agenda. Uh, they want to make it. They want to want to feel that they can support themselves and their family and their kids can get to school and they can stay healthy. Joe Biden has reflected the empathy of understanding their uh, fears and their aspirations uh, and the challenges that they face. And I think in that context, uh, frankly, I think the Democratic Party is going to do uh, very well. Uh, and we're going to do well in the, in the Midwest. Uh, because uh, Joe Biden's jobs bill is going to create a lot of jobs in the Midwest. Joe Biden says we need to make things in America. Uh, I, I've had that agenda for the last uh, decade uh, about making it in America. So, Karen, I think I think that we're going to we're going to resonate with the American people as Joe Biden did in this last election. But Mr. Hoyer, part of what what Carvel was talking about was the language that that Democrats use. And I think he was suggesting that they need to do a better job of speaking the way President Biden does in sort of relating to people using language that they themselves use among them, you know, themselves and not as as Carvel put it in the faculty lounge. Uh, do you think there's any validity to that? 
Karen, what I was, what I thought I answered was that I think Joe Biden is speaking exactly as Carvel would want him to speak, and I'd be, I, I haven't talked to Jim about it, but to see what he thought about Biden's speech. But I thought, I mean, Biden's the head of our party, uh, just as Trump was the head of the Republican Party, and apparently, unfortunately, and sadly, and, and uh, confoundingly, still seems to be. Uh, but uh, you know, people are going to listen to Joe Biden, and they're going to respond to that. Uh, you know, let's. I think Democrats are talking in the language of making sure that people uh, can make it in America, uh, can have a quality of life, uh, and can be confident their kids are going to have uh, good education and can uh, have opportunities in the future. So I think we're talking their language. Uh, I think the Republicans are, are what I call, uh, they, they have a yo-yo uh, message in effect. Uh, Yo-Yo standing for you're on your own. Uh, that's why they voted against the uh, uh, the rescue plan. And they told people you're on your own. That's why they voted against VAWA, the violence against women. You're on your own. That's why they voted against minimum wage. You're on your own. They voted against uh, overwhelmingly against Sandy relief when we had Superstorm Sandy in the Northeast and uh, 58 million people were at risk. They said, no, we're not going to support helping you. You're on your own. Uh, I think there's a real difference between the two parties more than I've ever seen in my over 50 years of, of active uh, uh, involvement in, in public life. Uh, I think the Republican Party is a party of no. And we're, uh, Joe Biden speaks the party of uh, uh, empathy, uh, involvement, and effective investment. So, you know, I think, I think Carvel's right uh, in, in one sense. Uh, we can't talk about people. We can't talk jargon. We got to talk. Look, you, you, your kids need to go to school. Your family needs to be healthy and you need a good paying job uh, uh, to support your kids. And you need child care for that. Uh, you, you need some help if, if you're at the lower end of the economic scale with the earned income tax credit and child uh, tax credit. So I think we're speaking to the needs of America, of the American people and American families. And I think that will resonate. And I think that's why we're going to be successful in the future. Well, thank you so much. We're out of time, uh, Mr. Leader, but that I think sounds like I think a pretty good note to end on today. So thank you so much for being with us. And we hope that that you'll be back here at Washington Post Live soon. Karen, I, I, I look forward to it. And I, I want to say uh, I so respect the work you have done and the awards you have received for the extraordinary insights you have related to the American people. Thank you very much for that. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us today at Washington Post Live. Please stay tuned for our next program. It's at noon today. My colleague, Heather Long, will interview the executive vice chair of MasterCard, Ann Cairns, um, about pushing for gender diversity. And you can always head to WashingtonPostLive.com and see what else we have coming up. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.